Um, it's so good to be here. Uh, I, I, I'm here anyway, so this is fun. One of the things Josh did not tell you, which I think is so cool, is he's also going on that missions trip with his, with his kiddo, which I think is so cool, and the shirts they're wearing, and this is my plug, and this beautiful mug could all be yours for uh, uh, a suggested donation of some amount. So uh, they're also using those as a way to raise funds um, for the missions trip, and then also will certainly just take cash. That's uh, always okay. So I love Woodland Hills. This is such a great place. I, our family has called this home for about a decade now, and there's so many reasons I love this place, but one of them is it aligns in so many ways with what I do at the mission. Uh, not only are there a bunch of my friends from the mission here, but there's also a heartbeat around this place towards caring for those that are wrestling with homelessness, addiction, counseling, wanting job training, all sorts of stuff. So I, the heartbeat of this place lines up so closely with the heartbeat of what I do every day at the mission. So I just love it. It's such a cool thing. So I'm grateful to get to be here. We have quite a few things to talk about, you and I. Uh, but we are in the final week of our Entrusted series. So this Entrusted series is based on the idea that every good gift we've been given is a gift that God has given us. And that the nature of this God is an all-giving, self-sacrificial, loving God. And so if that's the type of God we serve, then that's the way we should be using the gifts that he gives us, by giving them away. So our job is to use them well, give them well, and do it in a way that's going to honor the king who we're following. Now, if any of you were here last week, Greg talked about treasure, money that we've been entrusted with. And if you're anything like my wife and I, you went home and realized, oh, there's some line items we kind of messed up this month. And this is, in many ways, the second part of this topic, but we're going to be talking about time. And I'm going to say what Greg said last week, which was, if there's any part of this is, that is convicting, just know I've been convicted with it for the last couple weeks. So welcome to the fun. <laughs> now, time is a gift. And if you're anything like me, though, sometimes time does not feel like a gift. Sometimes it feels like it's getting away from me. There's just not enough of it. I, I, I've got to go here with my kids. I need to do this at work. I need to go to this birthday party. I have to watch these three series on Netflix. I'm very busy. There's a lot of things that I just got to get done. And so the question is, if time is a gift, why does it not feel like that sometimes? What is it about time that can just feel overwhelming. And as I was looking into this, I started reading an article that was an interview with a guy named Dallas Willard. Anybody a Dallas Willard fan in here? Woo! All right. So, uh, so Dallas Willard, among many things, uh, uh, he recently passed away, but he was a philosophy professor, but he's written a lot about the kingdom of God and about spiritual practices. So if there's one person I personally would want to hear, how do you do this Jesus-looking life? from, I'd want to know what he thinks. So somebody asked him that, which I thought was very convenient for this moment, and he responded to them and said, the key to spiritual growth is to ruthlessly eliminate 
hurry from your life. Ugh. So the guy who was doing the interview, he wrote it all down. He said, that's quotable. I'm going to write that down. And then he said, okay, Dallas, what next? What else do I have to do? And Dallas looks at him and says, that's it. That's it. I got nothing else. And the reason he says that is because if you don't get that right, the rest is sunk. That we live in a culture that the most common response I get if I ask somebody, hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Oh, I'm real busy, though. I'm fine, though. I'm, I'm busy, pretty busy. There's just a lot going on. Or how you doing? I'm busy, 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 busy. It's just, there's just a lot. And the thing I've realized is that this is not how it's always been. Like, this is even unique culturally to us from other parts of the world and certainly unique in the, the time period we're in right now. So I thought I would show you what did the answer to the question, how you doing, look like 150 years ago? So here's a quote from a guy named Henry David Thoreau. See if uh, this resembles what you would say. I love a broad margin in life. Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in reverie. <laughs> Amen. Anybody know what reverie means? I had to look that one up. It, uh, it means imaginative thought while awake. So pretty much, he spent from morning till lunch daydreaming. And that was his day. Oh. So on the one hand, I'd be thinking, oh, I want that. And on the other hand, I'd be thinking, what a bum. Like, would you get up and do something already? So it's like these two mixtures in my head trying to figure out what to do. So I, so I jumped ahead about a hundred years to say, okay, did this idea of busyness change from 1850 to about 1967? And because I know this is enthralling for you, I've brought a little snippet from a Senate subcommittee hearing. So just get fired up. So this is part from a Time article. So uh, this is from Time magazine. It says, computers, satellites, robotics, and other wizardries, they promised to make the American workers so much more efficient that income and GNP would rise while work weeks shrink. In a 1967 testimony before a Senate subcommittee indicated that by 1985, people would be working just 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, or could just retire at age 38. And that would leave the only great challenge of finding a way to enjoy all that leisure. Oh, isn't it nice? What did you guys do with all the extra leisure this week? What I've realized is I get to retire in three years, which is I really need to plan more. My favorite word in that article is wizardries, because it reminds me of like Harry Potter, but I think, I think that was the 50-year-old definition of an iPhone or something, this like fancy wizardry, they didn't know what to do with it, and the crazy thing is that obviously that hasn't happened, that technology, progress, innovation, promised freedom, speed, and efficiency, and has not delivered, which I've heard is the definition of sin, promising something it'll never deliver. Hmm. 
So what is our culture like now? I was trying to think of uh, how could we demonstrate if 150 years ago we were wrapped in reverie and 50 years ago we were going to only be working 22 hours a week, what are we doing now instead? So check out this minute-long commercial and see what you think. Yes! Oh, we are a mess. Oh my gosh. Oh. What is most astounding to me about that is that the American dream... In many ways, if you notice, he nuanced it, that it wasn't about the stuff anymore. It was about the productivity piece that the stuff is a byproduct of. And that the value was about busyness, about doing, about going, about being on the move. Not so much about getting all the stuff. That was just a pleasant byproduct for him. So I wonder, really... <laughs> Are we that much busier? Or have we just stopped learning how to say no? I don't know. Um, so my wife and I, we moved recently. We used to live in this house that was in northeast Minneapolis. And uh, some of you might know what I mean by this, but it was one of those houses that would be loosely referred to as having character. Do you guys know what I mean by that? It had a lot of character, which... which meant, like when we moved in there, I'd never been in a 110-year-old house that had character, and I needed to hang something on the wall. So I took a nail, I hit it into the wall, and this would never happen. The, mail, the nail disappeared, and then I heard the like crackling and crumbling down behind it. And I thought to myself, oh boy, this is going to be an adventure. And so, but what I, one of the projects I had to do, and I've decided I'm going to do some projects because I'm a grown-up now. And one of the things that needed to happen was my daughter, in her closet, she had this big fluorescent light that needed to be changed. And I thought, okay, it's not rocket science. I could change a big fluorescent light unit. So I take the fluorescent light fixture off the wall, and per normal, I pay absolutely no attention to what wires were connected where when I did it. So just take it off. I'll deal with that problem later. And then I go to the hardware store, and I'm the kind of person that when I do a project, if the project should take one or two trips to the hardware store, I'm there a good half dozen. So after my like fifth or sixth trip and I have all my gear back home, I walk up to the wall where I had taken the other one off, not paying attention at all. And what I see is on two ends, there are three wires coming out on two ends, which seems strange. But then I, on my, the fixture I got, there were two wires coming uh, out on each side. So I thought, three, three, two, two. If two is good, five is better, let's just connect them all. So what I did is I connected them all together, used one of those screwy things that I had to get on my third trip to the hardware store, and then put it back up on the wall, get the, my new fluorescent bulb in there, because I, I had the wrong size, so hardware store trip number four was get the right size. And then I'm about to go get my wife to get, you know, good job. And I go downstairs to turn on the breaker. <laughs> Some people know more than I do. So what happened is this interesting noise that went something like this. <clears throat> and then all the electricity in my house disappeared, which was a really pleasant experience. And I learned a lot of things from this moment. 
many of which have nothing to do with what we're talking about, but about the need to just hire things out. But one of the things I learned that relates to what we're talking about is that when you stop the flow of something, it'll blow a circuit. Like when I connected all those, I honestly still have no idea. I know that didn't work, but I don't know how to fix that still. But I know that when I did that, it made all the energy go to one spot and essentially create a mini bomb right in my daughter's (laughs) closet because the energy couldn't flow anywhere. There was no flow to it, and the nature of any gift, of which time is one of them, is that the whole point of it is to flow through you for the good of somebody else, and to the degree that we hoard that, we are not acting out of right relatedness to how God wants us to be using our time. Does that make sense? So, thank you. That was nice. (laughs) We have limited capacity. I don't know if anybody's told you that recently. It's not part of the American mantra, but you can't do it all. And to the degree that we try and do it, we overload the system. We overload ourselves and then we miss out on what we're actually called to do. And there's a story in the Bible that really gets at this in a much more profound way. So we're going to take a look at a passage in Exodus 18, which is a story about the life of Moses and ultimately the life of the Israelite people. So Exodus 18, the people have recently come out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They are in the wilderness at the foot of Mount Sinai. And now picture this. There's about a million people is the guess. Most people estimate a million people. Imagine being the leader, Moses, of a million people in a desert and at least half of them are really annoyed at you. This is not a pleasant situation and it's about to get even more unpleasant for him. So Exodus 18, here's how it starts. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. Huh. Do you notice anything strange? After Moses sent away Zipporah and her two sons, Something about Moses' life had become so unmanageable, he couldn't be a dad and he couldn't be a husband. Something had pulled him away. And now he gets the added pleasure of the person reminding him that that had happened of his father-in-law. Yay! Who loves unwanted advice from their father-in-law? Everybody. So let's see where it goes next. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. (laughs) They're they're also his, but Jethro was not acknowledging that. Uh, Sometimes I think there's passive-aggressiveness in the Bible, but we don't get to see it because we don't hear the tone. So imagine passive-aggressive. Okay, so... Something happened where Moses could not be the dad and the husband he was supposed to be. And we're about to find out what it is. So here's the next part a few verses later. It says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. They stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? 
Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Now, Moses is now being called out by his father-in-law, and he's being called out about a blind spot. Now, I have no idea how they did this research, but it's science, so it must be true, that everybody has a minimum of 3.2 blind spots. I'm not sure how they came up with that, but the definition of a blind spot is something that you don't know that you're not good at, which is a little disturbing because it means you need somebody else to tell you your blind spots. You can't know them on your own. And I made the mistake of asking one of my friends at work what my blind spots were. Uh, So I asked, and she very quickly told me, which was a little disturbing, that she said, you know, David, uh, thanks for asking. And one of the things I've seen in you is that when you're in a meeting where you think you know what should be done, you act pretty arrogant. And you know what you have to do when somebody tells you your blind spot? You say, thank you. Thank you so much. So Moses just gets called out about his blind spot by his father-in-law, no less. So let's see how Moses responds to being called out. Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Take that, father-in-law. Do you notice how it says, come to me, brought to me, and I decide? Who is this all about? It's all about Moses. One of the lures I've found in leadership and in life is the lure when you feel indispensable. It feels good. It feels so good. That feeling that somebody said thank you when I did something. Somebody agreed with me. And my experience is that people agree with me and say thank you at work more than home. (laughs) That sometimes my kids, and I know this is going to shock you, they don't say thank you all the time. It's this strange thing that we can get lured in to what might not be the place we should be serving because we're getting the accolades. It feels better. And then you don't question whether it's right. It's this sense of, if I don't do this, it is not going to happen. If I don't do this, it's not going to happen. And somewhere in there, we miss the fact that God is the one that's actually supposed to make it happen, not us. Um, So let's see where Jethro goes with this. Maybe he'll just ease off. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. (laughs) You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice. Dummy, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they're to live and how they are to behave. So he gets called out. And what I have found is that sometimes the most important thing we can do is say no to the thing that is good so we can say yes to the thing that God is actually calling us to. Because in the next chapter, that's when Moses actually pays attention to God saying, Moses, come up on the mountain. 
I got some stuff to talk to you about. And that's when the Ten Commandments are given. And I've wondered how many times had God come to Moses and said, Moses, come on up on the mountain. And Moses says, ah, kind of busy. I got like a thousand people and it's up to me. If I don't, nobody will, nobody can. How could I trust anybody to do this job? And he missed the fact that God actually wanted to meet with him and tell him something that he needed to know. Oh, church, <laughs> Woodland Hills, this is, um, uh, like I said, it convicts me before it convicts you. And the thing is, there is way too much at stake for us to deal with the little thing when God is calling you to something else. There is way, way, way too much at stake to try and miss this great thing that God wants to tell you, but instead settle for this other thing. And you know, the, the trouble is the only way we know that, the only way we know there's something else is when we actually slow down long enough to listen. And we can't hear it if we're not listening, and we can't listen if we're just filling up life with other things. There's way, way too much at stake. I want to try and flesh this out in a little bit of a different way. So, it's science time. All right, here we go. Oh, we're going to see how this works because my bucket leaked in the 9 o'clock service. <laughs> Sorry, whoever had to clean that up. Um, this bucket... This is your life. That's it. It's all you get. We can't make it bigger. We can't make it smaller. We fill it with whatever we're going to fill it with. Now, I'm going to pick out a few things I want to put in here. The first one I'm going to put in here is my relationship with God. And this should be the bedrock of everything I fill my time with. This should be the thing that I focus on each day because the reality is those commercials, we see thousands of those all the time that tell us everything about who we are other than what God thinks. And to the degree that we're not getting this, we're going to just leech after whatever life we're told we can get somewhere else. So this goes in first. And then we've got some critical relationships, the people that are closest to us the ones that we need to remind us who we are, the ones we trust with our blind spots. So I'm going to put that in. And then there's also meaningful work. And whether it's paid work or work you do volunteering, God has something critical for everyone in here to be doing for the kingdom of God. So I'm going to put that one in here. Looks pretty full, right? There's always room. So, we have school. Um, I just started a PhD program like three weeks ago, so I'm pretty bored. And the, there's also like family birthday parties and exercise. I've heard you're supposed to do that. If you, oh, I got a few more for the CrossFit crowd. A few extra ones in there. Um, I think we're supposed to sleep, so let's jam them in there. Does that look pretty full? All right. There's always room, isn't there? Sand. So we've got things like taxes. Blech. 
house projects, which take me the remainder of this sand. We have laundry, meal prep, groceries. Ugh, we're really having fun now. What else do we have? Yeah, it's getting pretty full. Huh, okay. Does it look full? There's always room. Ugh. This little pitcher of water is dedicated to Netflix. <laughs> Netflix. Thank you for stealing my nights. And Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Oh, oh how I love thee. Oh, now is it full? <laughs> no, it is. Um, so what is the point of this madness? Oh, I showed you my tape side. I wasn't supposed to show you the tape there. Um, here's the deal. Remember those big rocks I put in? They will never fit unless they go in first. Your time with God, your time with the people that are most important to you, that will tell you what really is going on, that work that God has given you to do, they will never fit in here if you don't put them in first. And the thing I've also seen is that we have this massive tendency to invert things, that we turn the water and the sand into the big rocks. And oh, oh, does it steal from us. It's one of the reasons why what we do with our money and what we do with our time are two of the most critical kingdom indicators of how we're doing in our relationship with God. So have you let God audit your calendar recently? Do you know where all the time goes? One of the great mysteries is what happens with the eight hours that is not sleep and not work. You know, there's 24 of those in a day, and there's this mysterious eight that disappears somewhere, I'd encourage you to spend some time seeing where it went. Did it go in a place that you would feel comfortable with? That you think God would say, well done? I feel good about that. Hmm. So, I have a few things I would like to share with you just as a takeaway uh, in wrapping up time. And for those of you that immediately look at the clock, we're still going to go till 12.15. So, <laughs> Here's the deal. I was in Jamaica a month ago, and Jamaica is better than Minnesota. And I was golfing, which is better than Minnesota right now. And we were, we had, my brother-in-law and I had this cart, and this golf cart, when we got in it, it started going forward, then it immediately went like this. And so then we'd have to pull it back, and then it would immediately go like this. And so we kept having to just correct it to actually go forward. And the things I want to share with you as a takeaway are in many ways the things we need to be doing on a consistent basis to realign ourselves against what the culture is telling us we should do with our time versus what is more of a kingdom-oriented way to think about our time. So my prayer is that these would help us realign how we think about life. So the first one is slowing and solitude. Slowing 
and solitude. And slowing is this daily ritual and tool you can put in place where you intentionally try and back off from the hurry. So like for me, what that means is like when I go to Costco and you walk up to the experience that is the 89 lines you can check out in. What if, this is my problem, I walk up there and I, not only do I look for the shortest line, but I immediately assess the competency of the person checking you out in that line. Amen. So, <laughs> we all have problems. So, what, what if we decided, I'm just going to take the long line today. And when they open the new line and everybody's jumping for it, you just say, ah, go ahead. Just go ahead. It's crazy, but it actually, like, it, it can help us release from this. What if you stayed in the right lane all week? <laughs> ah, and you're reminded that people are crazy and so are you. What if the next road trip you took, you took the scenic route? It's really pretty when you do it. I'm reminded that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. <laughs> oh, saying no to the right things so that we can focus on what we should. And solitude. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Henry Nowing, about solitude, he says, in solitude, I remove all of my scaffolding. And the scaffolding is all the things I define myself by other than what God says. It's time when I'm away, I don't have a watch, I don't know what time it is, and I don't get to be director of chaplains, I don't get to be husband, I don't get to be dad, I don't get to be PhD student, I don't get to be anything other than child of God. And then I realize that's actually enough. That God honestly does not need your help to keep the world running. He's very, very good at it. Uh, another quote I love is from Aesop's fable, and uh, it says, if you, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. So can you picture the bow? You're stretching it out. If you keep stretching it out for long enough, it'll eventually snap. So sometimes with our life, we just need to release the pressure and remember that we are made for something more than just doing. So that's the first thing, slowing in solitude. The second encouragement and takeaway I would have for you is plan for the interruptions. I've been really convicted about this recently as I was reading the Gospels and what I noticed reading the Gospels is that most of the stories that are most profound to me in the Gospels, I would have probably called an interruption. You've got stuff like Jesus walking from one spot to the other, a blind beggar yells at him and says, son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus doesn't do what I might do, which is I got something to do, got to go. And he walks over and he heals him. You've got, he's, he's, the next time he's going to raise somebody from the dead, which I think that would be an excuse for pretty much any distraction. But a woman grabs his coat because she's been bleeding for 13 years. 
And Jesus stops what he's doing and focuses on her. And then the most annoying is Jesus, I imagine, is right in the middle of one of the best sermons he's ever given. He's got this like lather going. He's about to hit the high note. And then these four dudes drop a guy down from the ceiling right in the middle of his sermon. I'm trying to imagine like how I would react if that happened right now. Ugh. Now, another way to think of this interruptions is margin. Margin. Margin is the annoyed feeling I get walking onto the airplane while I'm on my way back to the steerage section and you walk past first class. And you know what they do? I think they do it just when you're there, is they kind of wiggle in their seat and kind of show how much extra room they have just to taunt you. Margin is having more room than you need. It's more space than is required. There's a book by Richard Swenson called Margin, and here's how he defines margin. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. It's the amount beyond that which is needed. It's something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion, the space between breathing freely and suffocating. What would happen if you got to the end of a month and had more money than you needed? <laughs> I know it's a, it's a fairy tale, but it could happen. What would happen if you got to the end of a day and you had more energy than required to do the work? What would happen if you got to the end of your life and had time for when somebody walks up to you and needs something. Because the reason we move towards margin is for the other. Because if I don't have margin, every distraction is gonna be incomprehensible for me to deal with. Because I just gotta go, 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 and go. So we, we work towards margin because ultimately we want to be this conduit that Jesus was in his time and in his, um, his life. So we need to build margin and plan for interruptions. And then finally, we need to put the big rock in first. Because obviously it won't fit, and fittingly, we're leaking again. Because it, it always leaks somewhere, doesn't it? We got to put the big rocks in first. Do you know what they are for you? If you were to do an audit on your time, would you feel comfortable with where it's going? Are the things you value the most put in first? Because here's the deal. Everything you already you need, God says you already have. That if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, you are holy, you are seated in the heavenly places, you are a friend of God and you can't do anything about that. You can't earn it, you can't work harder for it, you can't anything. It's all free. And what I want is to live my life around who I want to become, not what I want to get done that I want to become the best possible follower of Jesus I can be. 
I want to become the best dad I can be. I want to become the best husband I can possibly be. Because let me tell you, when I'm dying on my deathbed somewhere, I'm not going to be all that interested to have my colleagues come around me and say, hey, good job being a manager. That was great. I really appreciated that. What I want are those relationships that I delve deeply into that are the core of who I want to become. So we, we need to realign. We need to realign against the culture. We also need to realign spiritually because let me tell you, Satan would love it if we focus on the sand and we focus on the water and we miss the rest. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters and I'm going to end with this. And he talked about, it's this dialogue between the senior demon and another demon and they're talking about essentially how to, how to get us off track. And here's what their conversation looked like. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering, another fun word, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. And in parentheses, um, here's the annoying statistic of the day. We spend, on average, an hour looking for what show we're going to watch on a day. That's the national average. Staring at a dead fire in a cold room an hour so that at last he may say, as one of my patients said on his arrival down here, and he's talking about in hell, I now see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor what I like. Friends, the only lasting way to eliminate hurry is to constantly get your life from Christ. The only lasting way to eliminate hurry is to constantly be getting your life renewed, renewed, renewed from Christ. So, would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray. Father God, we want to be a people that are known as passionate followers of you and that eliminate the hurry so that we may advance your kingdom and invest in what actually matters. So would you teach us? Would you guide us in what the next step is for us? Uh, we pray your blessing over all the people in this room. Amen. Amen. So have a great week. Um, before you leave, talk with the Puebla people. Support that trip. There will be prayer warriors up front if there's anything we could be praying for you. Have a great week.